appreciate it. Well, today we're going to be continuing our win series. Last A uh, couple weeks ago, Pastor Travis talked about when are you going to forgive? And if you remember, he had the hurdle out here that he jumped over. I know if you're here, you saw him jump over the hurdle. Uh, if you weren't here, sorry, you missed it. Maybe he'll do it again for you after the service. We'll see. Um, but uh, Pastor Travis talked about the hurdles that we have to set up in our life um, against being offended, right? When are you going to forgive? We talked about that last week, and uh, I hope that you found that sermon applicable and as challenging as I did. It was, a, it was great. I uh, found it very uh, applicable to everyday encounters that we each may have. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 58, um, so that'll be our main passage that we'll be talking, uh, talking us through this morning. So if you want to go ahead and flip there in your Bibles, Isaiah 58, um, that's where we're spending most of our time. Um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Travis asked the question, when are you going to forgive? This week, we're going to ask the question, when are you going to serve? When are you going to serve? I think that most people, when they think about when am I going to serve, their mind immediately goes to um, volunteering at uh, food drives, volunteering at soup kitchens, um, volunteering at homeless shelters. That's how you serve. They think about how they serve at church. They think about uh, they've closed line. They think about how they serve in the children's ministry or in the nursery. They think about that kind of service. And there's nothing wrong with those things. And if you're doing those things, I appreciate it. And you're doing a great job. And I thank you for that. And that's important. And um, I'm not going to tell you to stop, so don't get worried. That's a great, great thing. And we should be doing uh, service in those areas. But I believe that when it comes to serving, God requires something a little bit more from us. And we're going to be looking, going through that today. So like I said, the main text we're going to be looking about uh, today is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. Um, and the world in Isaiah's time was filled with a lot of war and a lot of violence and a lot of, a lot of strife. Um, the people of God were split into two kingdoms, as you might remember. The northern kingdom was Israel, Israel and the southern kingdom was Judah. And all the surrounding nations around Israel and Judah were all vying for supremacy over these two kingdoms. They were trying to take over the people of God. And eventually in the northeast, the Assyria came down. They, took, they wiped out the kingdom of Israel and sent them uh, out. Um, so that just left Judah, where Isaiah had resided. So this is the, la the last that's left of the people of God, the kingdom of Judah. And at this time, the people of God and the kingdom of Judah, there was, a lot of, there was a whole lot of rich people, and there was a whole lot of poor people, and there wasn't a whole lot in between. Because of corrupt city governments and bribe-taking uh, city officials and judges, there was a whole lot of poverty, there was unrest, there was extortion, there was uh, a lot of eviction. And it just made life for the poor absolutely miserable. Judah was filled with a lot of luxury for the rich, but that meant that there was a lot of indifference to the sufferings of the poor that were under them. Not only was Judah experiencing crippling social issues at the time, but they had a lot of spiritual issues as well. The, there was a lot of uh, worship of false gods in the rich and the poor alike. Um, moral and eth ethical standards were low. Religious devotion in the temple and, and fasting and any spiritual aspect of that was done out of obligation and not out of a true and whole love of God. They just did it out of obligation because it's what they always, always had done. They, did it, they were just going through the motions in the temple. Worship had lost its sincerity and it only came out of a requirement uh, and not out of a true love for God. And this is the kind of life that Isaiah was called to speak into. This was the people that God had chosen for Isaiah to approach in these words that we're about to read. So when we go through these verses in Isaiah, I just want you to think about the audience that it's written to. This was written to a selfish and greedy, unempathetic, self-serving people. These were people that didn't love God. They just went through the motions in the temple. These were people that only cared about their own needs and not the needs of others. And this was the life 
that Isaiah had to speak into. This was the life that God had called him to speak through. So if you have Isaiah 58 open, let's go ahead and begin reading. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem anger for God, uh, eager for God to come near them. Why we have fasted, they said, have you not seen it? Why we have humbled ourselves, have you not noticed? So let's stop there. Let's back it up. So what's happening here? So this is God speaking through Isaiah to the people of Judah, this greedy, selfish people. And he's saying, I, Isaiah, I want you to shout it to these people because they're not really probably going to understand. I really want them to really pay attention so no one misses out. Here's what they do. They want to know my ways. They want to know who I am. Day after day, they come to me. They want to know the answers to their life's questions. They, they want to know which direction to take in their life. They want to feel close to me. The people of Judah ask such things of me as if they weren't a sinful and selfish people. They ask how, how they, they throw in my face how much they fast and how humble they are, but they are not humble, and they do not fast in the way that I would like. The people of Judah want to know that the answers that I hold, but they do not act like the people of God. They think that they are. They really, really believe that they're doing the right thing. They really do think that they're doing what I'm asking of them. They really think that they are pious. They fast and they pretend to be, be humble, but they do not do the things that I truly require. You see, they have it all wrong. So let's skip down to verse 6. Now, now, six, verse six. Now, that God, now God is going to tell the people of Judah, this is what I really require. You think you're doing what I'm asking, but that's not what I want. This is what I want. Verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? God is saying, you think that going through the, the, going through the motions in the temple is what I want, but that's not what I want. This is what I want. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is the kind of fasting that God requires of Judah. He did not want them to go through the motions in the temple. He did not want them to fast. He did not want them to uh, pretend to be his people. No, he said, I want you to serve the poor. He said, I want you to work for justice. He said, I want you to set the oppressed free. I want you to clothe the naked. And I want you to help your own family. This is the kind of fasting I require. You've got it all wrong. God was not satisfied with their false piety. He was not satisfied with them pretending to be the people of God. He wanted them to serve. He wanted them to get their hands dirty. He wanted them to inconvenience themselves on the behalf of someone else. He wanted to go out and serve the poor and serve the needed. He wanted them to give of themselves for someone else. That is the fasting that God wanted. I believe that God valued the fasting of the ego over the fasting of food. I think that God valued the spending time with the poor than spending time going through the motions in the temple. I think that he valued the giving of clothes and food to the needy rather than the giving of sacrifices with an empty heart. I believe that we serve the same God today that Isaiah served in that time. And I believe that God still wants from us what he wanted from the people of Judah. I believe that God still values justice for the oppressed. I believe that he still values the hungry being fed and the, the naked being clothed. But here's the thing. There's a reason that God spoke in Isaiah 58 to the people of Judah. There's a reason he didn't leave them to continue doing what they were doing. You see, God could have 
help the oppressed and help the needy on his own. He didn't need the people of Judah, but he wanted them to be involved. He wanted them to be involved in the restoration work that he was doing in the world at the time. He wanted to be involved in this restoration that he was doing among the poor. He wanted them to be instruments of his grace and his reconciliation among the needy. He wanted them, he needed the kingdom of Judah to be his hands and feet among the poor. And they were failing because they were just so focused on themselves. I think that the same can be said for the people of God today. God still wants us to be a part of the restorative work that he's doing in creation. He wants us to be his hands and his feet among the people who are needy among us. He, wants us to, he still wants us to reach out to the poor. Even today, he wants, he wants us to serve. And he wants us to serve in the way that he gets all the glory and we get none. When he uses us to help the poor, we don't get the glory. God does. And God wants us to serve so that we can be part of this beautiful restoration story that he's weaving even now in the world today. And we get to be a part. So the question that we have to ask ourselves today is how do we serve? This is the question we're going to be going through. And I think it has four parts. And when someone tells you uh, to serve, there's probably a million things that you're thinking about, like we talked about earlier. A soup kitchen or a homeless shelter, and those things are good things. But I think that living a life that God calls us to live is more than simply volunteering our time at church or volunteering our time in the community. Living a life of service is more than that. Service isn't just things that we go out and we do, but service, living a life of service that God calls us to do, it's a lifestyle that we live. It's something that we live out day in and day out. So I think there are four ways that we can reach this life of service that God is calling us to in Isaiah 58. The first thing is that we have to experience selfless love. We have to experience selfless love. This was the problem that the kingdom of Judah had in Isaiah. They were so focused on themselves that they failed to serve the poor. They were so concerned with what made them rich that they began to oppress others and push others down. And this was the behavior that God was calling them to stop. He wanted them to think of themselves less. Even today, I think that we live in a society that's all about number one, right? It's all about me and what I need and what I want, what's going to make me rich, what's best for me, what's keeps me safe, what makes me comfortable. But the truth of the matter is, if you want to love like Christ is calling you to love, that requires being selfless. It requires putting others before ourselves, Look at this definition of love from 1 Corinthians. We've probably all heard it a million times, but look at what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Love is something that is selfless. If you think of that you're loving, but you're only thinking of yourself, then you're not loving. Selfless love is not something we do. It is something that affects the way that we live. Selfless love comes to fruition when we actually act it out in our everyday lives. When we act it out when we serve, this selfless love. Look at, look at Romans 12, 13 through 21. The title of this um, passage is called Love in Action. In other words, this is what selfless love looks like when we act it out in our daily lives. Look what it says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Withdraw, rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And then we're going to skip down a little bit. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
I think that what Paul is telling us in this verse, this verse that's called love in action, that if you really want to love, you have to be serving. If your heart is truly filled with the servant of the Spirit and with Christ's selfless love, you should be adamant about serving the people around me. If you really are loving how Christ is calling you to love, then you should be serving. I think what Paul is saying is that loving Christ in a life of service, they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. I think if what Paul is saying is that if you really love Jesus, you would be feeding the hungry. If you really desired a relationship with God, you would be clothing the naked. And if you really wanted to be God's people, then you would be serving the poor. Why? Because service is the outflow of a selfless heart, a heart that's filled with the selfless, uncontainable love of God. Service is the natural outflow of a heart full of the love of Christ. I think that your service says a lot about where your heart is, and your heart will prompt you into more service. I think that the people of Judah are a perfect example in Isaiah. It's clear to see that their hearts were not on God. They had fallen out of relationship with God, therefore their service had completely stopped. Because their hearts were not right, they did not serve the needy among them. So if you have a serve problem, you might have a heart problem. If you aren't serving, you aren't living into the fullness of what God is calling you to do. There might be some of you here today who feel like you're not experiencing the fullness of the relationship with God. You do your devotions, you pray, you come to church, but it seems like there's just something missing. There's not, there's not a richness to your relationship. It's not as exciting as it should be. And I think that that missing part of your life may be service. Because you aren't serving, your heart is in the right place. And because your heart isn't in the right place, you aren't serving. If we look back at Isaiah 58, Isaiah just listed what true fast, the true fasting that God requires. Then look at what happens after we serve. Look at what happens. Verse 7, is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is what happens when we serve. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the ocean talk, and if you spend time... Uh, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of street with dwellings. You see, the good news is that if you're, if you're not experiencing the fullness of your relationship with God because you're not serving, when we serve, Scripture tells us that our light will break forth like the dawn, and God will be our rear guard. When we serve, according to Isaiah, our righteousness comes before us. God is with us, and His light shines into our souls. Serving for the glory of our God changes everything, and it changes our hearts. If we serve, Scripture tells us that God will satisfy our needs in a sun scorched land. And we will be like a well-watered garden. According to this passage, God can use our service to others to change our hearts and to change our relationship with him. Serving comes from the heart, but it also prompts us into more service. I'll prove it to you. How many in here have ever been on a mission trip before? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Quite a few of us, right? 
Now, my next question is, how many of you that that mission trip, or any mission trip, was a highlight of your spiritual experience? Anybody? You see that? Like, I think that the reason that our mission trips are so big in our spiritual lives, and we come back and we're on fire, and we, we look back on those times, we're like, wow, I was, I was on a mountain that day, or that week. The reason that we feel so close to God on mission trips is because we wake up and we sleep, and in between is only service. From the moment we get up in the morning, we're serving until we sleep at night. On mission trips, we're forced to act in selfless service for someone else. And that service begins to affect our hearts. In return, our hearts push us on into more service. I believe that is because that we are serving that so many of us would say that we feel so close to God on mission trips. God can use our service to others to change our hearts and to change our relationship with Him. And in return, we're prompted into more service. So the first way that we serve is by experiencing selfless love. But the second way that we serve is by practicing compassion. Practicing compassion. Notice I didn't, I'm not saying to just have compassion, but I say practicing compassion. Because compassion should be something that we're doing. Compassion is this. Compassion is empathy in action. It is seeing something wrong. It is having your heart broken. It is being angered by injustice. And not simply sitting around, but it's doing something about it. That's practicing compassion. I heard a statistic this week in our Thursday night small group um, that I just couldn't believe. That I was like, there's no way. But I looked it up, and it's true. It is a statistic from the study of the University of Michigan. And it says this. Over the past 10 years, the number of empathy among college students has dropped 40%. The, the amount of empathy from college students over the past 10 years has dropped 40%. Percent. We just don't care about others like we used to. Our hearts aren't broken along with other people. We don't get angry at injustice anymore. We've gone from being an empathetic people to an apathetic people. We don't have empathy. If we don't have empathy, then we can't have compassion because compassion is empathy in action. And this was the problem that Judah faced in Isaiah. They were no longer angry at all the injustice that was going on around them. They were no longer saddened by the poor and the needy that, was, that were um, with them. They had lost their empathy, which means that they could not practice compassion. But compassion is exactly what God desired of them. Verse 6 says this, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. We have to pray to God and ask him to help us to rediscover our empathy. We have to pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks his. We have to pray that God would make us angry for what makes him angry. We have to ask him to create opportunities in our everyday life where we can practice compassion for the hurting and the helpless around us. And if we pray those prayers, you can be sure that God's going to answer them, and he will provide those opportunities for you to practice compassion. When I was in college, I worked at Toys R Us, and this was before they went bankrupt. Now you can't find me anymore. But I was one of the few. I went down with the sinking ship. Um, but I worked at Toys R Us for my, all, the, all the years I was at Trevega, so like around almost four years. Um, and while I was there, God began to break my heart for the people I was working with. All the people I was working with, they, everybody had different issues and situations that they were going through, and 
Some of them were financial and some of them were spiritual and some of them were relationships that they had that had broken them. And God began to break my heart for the people I was working with at Toys R Us. And I felt this empathy for the other people I was working with. So I began to pray, God, like, create opportunities for me to practice compassion among the people that I'm working with. Because I don't like feeling my heart broken for these people. Help, give, give me opportunities to practice compassion among them. And it seemed like every single shift, every single week, God would create opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for me to be able to speak into people's lives and do things for people and serve in different ways to begin working among these broken people I, were, I was working with at Toys R Us. And I'm not saying that to like say, look at me, I'm so great. But I'm just saying that because God's no respecter of persons. If you believe that, say amen. God's no respecter of persons. And if we, each and every one of us, if we pray, Lord, help me to practice uh, compassion in my workplace, or help me to practice compassion in my schools, God will answer that correct prayer, and he will pr provide you with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve. And if we pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks his, and to make us angry for what makes him angry. God will show you things that you'd never noticed before. He will show you the sadness and the hurting of the people you work with or go to school with. He'll show you the things that break his heart every single day. And he will present opportunities for you to begin to make a difference in your schools and your workplaces. And when we do that, when we serve, when we practice compassion, God gets all the glory and the honor and the praise. Not only do we have to think of ourselves less and practice compassion, but we also have to serve in the way of the Spirit. Look at Romans 7, 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way. Of the written code. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. When you serve, the Spirit of God is upon you. If you believe that, we say amen. When you serve, the Spirit of God is upon you. When you serve, the Spirit of God is enabling you to do it. When you serve, the Spirit of God is flowing out of you and into the lives of the people you're serving. When you serve, the people that you are encountering and serving, they are encountering God. Serving is a spiritual act. The Holy Spirit permeates the act of serving. And if you want to encounter the Holy Spirit this morning, then you have to begin serving. If you want to be changed and molded by the Holy Spirit, then find ways to serve. If you want to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, then begin to develop, ask God for a selfless love and to be more selfless, then find ways to serve. The Holy Spirit is alive and moving in the act of service. In fact, God has provided each and every one of us with spiritual gifts that are in you, even now, as you sit in this sanctuary, you have been imparted with spiritual gifts that were placed on you before you were even born with the sole purpose of being used in service. Each and every one of us has a spiritual gift that may be used in the act of service. Look at 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you, that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
each of you has a spiritual gift that when used through the power of the Holy Spirit and the act of service can allow you to be a faithful steward of God's grace to the lost and the lonely and the people in need. And you might be saying, you know, Pastor Jan, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really have a spiritual gift or a talent or anything like that. There's nothing that really stands out to me as a spiritual gift. But I think that this verse in 1 Peter doesn't say that, you know, some of you guys will be in part of a spiritual gift and you should use those to serve. Or, well, only the people who are pastors, they have spiritual gifts and they're going to use those to serve. No, what it says here in this verse is each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. Each of us has a spiritual gift that we are called to use in the act of service. Some of you guys have the gift of hospitality. Some of you are really, really good at inviting people into your home and making them feel at home and comfortable. And that's a gift. That's a rare thing. And you should give God praise for that gift. And he wants you to use that gift in service to others. Some of you guys are really good at speaking. You're good at talking to people. You're really good at having conversations and connecting with others. And that's a rare thing. And you should use that and give glory to God for that. That's a gift that God has given you. You should be thankful. And almost everybody on our praise team has uh, musical talent. Pastor Travis is still practicing. He'll get there. Uh, but most everybody has musical talent on our praise team. And that's rare. That's a, that's a gift. And that we use that to serve. Each and every one of you has a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. And it can be used in the service uh, of others to pass the grace on to other people. When I think about spiritual gifts and someone who's, who has a spiritual gift that's just so prominent, um, I think of my Grandma Gloria. I know that um, Dad always talks about Grandma Gloria from the stage, and now it's my turn, so I'm going to talk about my Grandma Gloria. Um, Grandma Gloria has a, has a spiritual gift, and that gift is the giving of advice. She's really, really good at giving advice. If you ask Grandma Gloria uh, a, a problem you're having or a question, she'll give you uh, true wisdom. Now, I believe that wisdom comes from God. I really do. And Grandma Gloria, she travels all over the world, and it's almost like her job is just to give advice to people all over the world. And I believe that God can use Grandma Gloria to uh, work in the lives of other people through the giving of advice, through speaking to other people. That's a gift she's been giving, and she use it, uses it in service day in and day out. And I believe that Grandma Gloria, when she gives advice every single time, all the glory and the honor and praise goes straight up to God. That's a gift that she's been given, and she uses it in service day in and day out. We each have a gift that we are called to use. And you might be saying, okay, but I, okay, you said that everybody has a gift, but I still don't know what my gift is, so what am I supposed to do? My answer to you would be to start serving. Begin serving. Your gift will become noticeable to you and to all the people you're serving with. God has given you a gift, I promise, and once you start serving, you will know what it, what it is. Each and every one of us has a gift that we're called to use in service. Finally, in answering the question, how do we serve not only do we have to think of ourselves less and practice compassion and serve in the way of the Spirit, but we also have to serve God. Look at Matthew 25, and you've probably heard this, uh, read this verse a million times. We're going to read it again. I just ask that you would just read it with fresh eyes. Matthew 25, it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to, drink, to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. 
I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or in prison and did not help? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, when you serve other people, you are serving God. So when we ask this question, who should I serve? The answer is God. And if you serve God, the natural instinct is to begin serving people. And when you serve people, you're serving God. You see this, like, it's like a cycle that presents itself in the act of serving. And all of it works for the glory of God. All of it is to continue to do the restorative work that he's doing in creation. That is the fasting that God desires of us. Service to others, and in turn we're serving him. And in turn we're serving others. And in turn we're serving him. So how do we get started? You might be saying, okay, you've convinced me. I need to start serving. So how do I start? Well, like I said, there's many of you that are already serving in your, in your community. That's a great way to get started. You should, if you have, if you're, you should serve in your community. God can use your service in your community for his glory. He can use that service. You can also serve in church. There's plenty of ways that you can serve in the church. In your, in your bulletin today, there's a little slip of paper that has all the, uh, just a few of the ways that you can serve in sh- church. That's not a complete list. And you should look at those. And there's even a way to sign up on there. If you want to learn more information, you can drop that in the basket on your way out of the foyer. You should serve in church. That's a great way to serve. But I don't think that service is limited to what we do in this building or what we do in our community. In fact, you might be thinking, like, Jaron, I'm just so busy. I don't even have time to serve. Like, I can barely get to church on Sunday mornings, let alone serve throughout the week. And can I tell you that this morning that God can open up opportunities for you to serve others right where you are every single week. In your workplaces, in your schools, there are people who are in need. There are people who need Jesus. They need to know who God is. And you can serve them right where you are. There are people who are struggling financially or physically. There are people who are oppressed. There are people who are weighed down and burdened. There are people who are neglected where you are every single day. I believe that God can use you right where you are to serve the people around you, begin practicing compassion to others. But we have to pray that God would open up windows of opportunities in which you have a chance to serve those broken around you. If you pray that prayer, God will do that just that. Others of you might not have any desire to serve, and you're realizing that your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be, and you don't feel the fullness of the relationship of God that you should feel And I would say to you, maybe it's time to begin serving. Maybe it's time to begin responding to that love that God has for you and serving the lost and the broken around you. Maybe it's time that you allow God to to change your heart and make it a selfless heart so that you can begin serving. Because when we serve others, we're serving God. When we serve God, we're serving others. And that's the fasting that he requires of us. I prayed of the best way to end this service. I think that the best way to end it is to pray and then go and do it. 
So we're going to pray, and we're just going to go, and we're going to serve. And I believe that even today, as we leave these, this church building, and we go out to Applebee's, which is my favorite place to go. And if, if all you guys go to Applebee's, I'm going to be mad because I have to wait long. So don't go to Applebee's. Go somewhere else. But even when you go, even when you go to any restaurant in Columbus, after this service, there's going to be opportunities to serve right when you're sitting there. There's going to be people in that restaurant who are broken and who are oppressed and who are weighed down that God can use you to speak into their lives. There's opportunities even today to go and to serve in this place. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would open up opportunities for serve every single day in our daily lives. I would, I, I just, my prayer is that God would make C1NAS, the, the church that is known for their service to people, and a church that is known for their service to God, and a church that's known because they serve God to serve people. So let's pray this morning, and then we're going to go, and we're going to do it. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for the sacrifice that you made, God, and we remember that this morning as we take communion, Lord. And because of that sacrifice, God, you, you, we, invite you, we can invite you into our lives, and you can change us and mold us into the person you want us to be, and you can change our hearts. And Lord, because of the sacrifice you made, we can have a selfless love that's for your people, God, and for you. I just ask that you would just help us out of that selfless love to begin serving other people, that we can begin to practice compassion with the people around us, Lord. I pray this morning that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Help us, give us your eyes to see the broken and the hurting around us that we've never been able to see before. But Lord, don't just let us see it and don't just break our hearts, Lord, but give us the opportunities to do something about about it, God. I ask that you would fill us with your spirit and use us to begin practicing compassion in each and every one of those opportunities that you are going to present, Lord, in our schools, in our workplaces, and even as we leave this place in restaurants and grocery stores, wherever we be, where it might be, God, give us opportunities to serve. We want to serve this morning, God, because we know that when we serve others, we're serving you, Lord. And when we, if we are serving you, then we have to serve others. And we want to serve others, God. Help us, Lord, as we go from this place to serve you and to serve others. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. CJ is going to come and give our benediction. I would invite all of you to stand this morning for our benediction. Hear this promise from the Lord from Hebrews this morning. Our God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown to him as you have helped his people and continue to do so. So I invite you this morning, as we head out this morning, to go love and serve. Amen. You are dismissed.